laboring fervently. I'm going to read the verse again. Colossians chapter 4, verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So, Colossians 4 here, um, the, the, like I said, the phrase is laboring fervently. Now, when you think of laboring fervently, you don't, what, what, what do you just think in your mind with me? What comes to your mind instantly when you think of laboring fervently? Uh, the first thing that came to my mind was a team of mules plowing a field or something. Or uh, laboring fervently, I thought about somebody rushing on a job site on Friday evening just trying to get everything finished so they could go home for the weekend and, uh, and be ready to come back on Monday. Laboring fervently. I'm talking about uh, what comes to your mind when you think about that. And if you look in the verse, the laboring fervently for you in prayer. His laboring, uh, the, the fervence in Epaphras' labor is prayer. Yeah. When you think of laboring fervently, do you think of prayer? I didn't think of I, that. That did not, just when I sat there and started thinking in my mind, laboring fervently, I did not associate labor with prayer. Yeah. I didn't associate the two together. And you hear people say, uh, you know, Jesus said, uh, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. Uh, but when we think of laborers going into a harvest, we think of manpower to participate in outreaches. But Epaphras sets an example of someone who found a place in the service of God. It says here in verse 12 that he was a servant of Christ. So he's serving God, and his way of serving God is laboring fervently in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. So for Epaphras, his service to Christ, one of his ways that he served Christ, he was laboring fervently for you. Now he's talking, speaking about the saints here at Colossae and, and, and everything, but the way that he was laboring was in prayer. And uh, most of us today, we don't think of, as I've already said, and I'm repeating it on purpose, we don't associate labor with prayer. We think of uh, this, this word fervently is connected to diligence. Um, when we think of being diligent, we think of, uh, well, I don't know what you think of, but when I think of diligence or, or uh, something like that, I think about uh, just hard work or being a hard worker or something like that. And that's the point that he's trying to get, up, get across here. But the hard work that Epaphras was putting in was in prayer. Okay, that's the point. And uh, I would say that we could, we could uh, if I could, after studying some of this and looking through some of this, I, I've, I've learned that I should probably be asking God to give me a heart more like Epaphras. Um, Epaphras uh, was just, uh, he was just a servant of Christ and he labored fervently for people 
that they would be able to stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. And you know, when we think about missions, sometimes I think the the most neglected resource that we have access to, prayer, is left out. People think missions is all about money. You can give money and it not cost you anything. I just recently preached a missions conference and I made sure that I mentioned that in every service that I preached. You can give money. You can give thousands, hundreds, and thousands of dollars to missions and it never cost you anything. And by the way, you can set up missions giving on such a... Uh, with all these online giving platforms and different things like that to where it becomes an automatic draft and you never see it and you don't even know you don't even know what you're giving and that money doesn't cost you anything that's why the guy that comes to your workplace and sells you a retirement package for 6% of your income that's pre-taxed you never see it so you never miss it and you just you take you buy it hook line and sinker and then now we treat missions that way when it comes to our finances. We just knock this much right off the top because we never see that much anyway. We don't make a sacrifice so that we can give. And it doesn't cost us nothing. I believe this fervent in prayer that Epaphras was doing, this labor that Epaphras was doing, I believe it will cost you something. Amen. I don't think this is something that you can just do that's not going to cost you some something. This is something that's going to require some time. It's going to require you to give of yourself in a more sacrificial way than it would to pass out a million tracts. Passing out tracts is easy. There's no labor involved in passing out tracts. But the Bible says here that if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to pray... Like Epaphras, you're going to have to labor fervently. That's going to cost you something. Physical action is not a substitute for fervent prayer. Okay? Don't don't mix up the two. We will get so... I talked to you all last Thursday about one of the hindrances to missions is that people... Uh, do not love each other like they should inside the church. And sometimes we will get so called up, we'll be like Martha, and we will be so cumbered about with much serving that we forget the one needful thing. And Mary had the one needful thing. She was at the feet of Jesus Christ. That's probably where Epaphras was. And Epaphras was noted in the Bible for laboring fervently. That's a that's a pretty good uh, when you know the Holy Spirit had a had, could have uh, there's a lot of people that the Holy Spirit makes mention of in our, in our Bible and more especially in our New Testament concerning the gospel going forth, but he didn't refer to anybody else like he did a preference in the context of prayer in the context of labor and with fervence and diligence. It was about prayer. The disciples. Uh, talked about prayer. They, they went to the Lord in Luke chapter 11 verse 1 and said, Lord, teach us to pray. I remember uh, being around some guys on missions at, during, in some missions conferences when I was on deputation and a lot of the, a lot of the guys, uh, some younger guys, it was a specific missions conference. I was actually the oldest person there in the conference and uh, people were talking about going uh, to classes to learn how to preach 
And I thought, man, Jesus is, we, we're losing something because when Jesus' disciples went to the Lord, they asked Him to teach them how to pray. And I think prayer, as I've said, is one of the overlooked, most overlooked resources that we have when it comes to foreign missions. Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 1 said that men ought to always pray and not faint. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, uh, verse 25, he talks about brethren. He says, brethren, pray for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 12, says that we're to continue instant in prayer. All the time. A, 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 a state of prayer, a uh, instant in prayer. And so... I believe if a man's going to be like Epaphras and be able to labor fervently in prayer, uh, Jesus gives us a... a um, he, he, look, look, look with me. Go to Mark chapter 1. I want to show you a few verses uh, here concerning this subject of prayer, about prayer. And I, I don't feel like I... Of all people to talk about prayer, I don't really feel like I'm the one that's qualified to do it, but uh, this is what God's given me to, to talk about tonight. Mark chapter 1, I believe there's something that we can learn from concerning, concerning, concerning prayer um, as with using Christ as our example. Mark chapter 1, verse 35, the Bible says here, And in the morning... Rising up a great while before day, he went out. That's talking about Jesus Christ. He went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. Now I'm going somewhere with this. So the Bible here talking about Jesus Christ, he gets up a great while before day. So he's up before, before daylight, I guess. And he goes to a solitary place and there he prays. Okay, so this place of prayer uh, is a place of uh, a place for you and I to labor fervently for the Lord. You ever feel like there's nothing you can do for God? You ever feel like it's always someone else getting to do everything for God? Well, here's something that you can do, and 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 according to the Bible, you can labor fervently. This is something that everybody can do, and there's a solitary place here that the Lord had. Uh, that he would go to and pray. Keep that thought in your mind. Come to Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to try to tie a thought that, that I got from this together. Ephesians chapter 6. How many times have you ever tried to pray? And uh, for me, I've got three kids at home. If I do not get up early in the morning, there is no solitary place in my house to pray. They're, it's just not there. My three, they're up, and when they when their feet hit the floor, they're as wild as a bunch of buck deer. And there's no such thing as a solitary place in my home to pray. If I don't get up early enough, I I just simply don't. There's a distra- there 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 comes a distraction in in a, in essence here that uh, can can come between you and that that time of prayer, that special time of prayer in the morning. Some people, I've heard people talk about this, and I've been, I, I know there's been times like this for me. Um, you'll go to pray, and there'll be some thought come in your mind that gets your mind off of prayer. 
Okay? There will be times where uh, you'll be trying to pray, or maybe you're driving down the road, you're by yourself, and, and in your vehicle, you're praying in your mind and in your heart to the Lord, and somebody calls you, or something. There's always some kind of distraction. Okay? Now, <coughs> I got to thinking about this. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, I just mentioned these distractions when, you, when it comes time for you to try to pray. When we're trying to pray, there's always distractions. But I don't know many times that I've tried to watch something on YouTube and I've gotten distracted. This prayer that I'm talking about is a is is a it's a spiritual war and when when you go to i believe when you go to the lord in prayer that's when the attack probably is going to come the most from the devil because all of a sudden here you've got your mind flooded with all these different distractions and it starts in your mind that's where the battleground is Right? That's what the devil's after. And if he can get your mind, he's got you. And so if the devil can, can put in your place something that can get your mind off of this prayer that you're trying to engage in with the Lord, he wins the battle. Okay? Now it's interesting to me in Ephesians 6... He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of, the world, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your girt, uh, loins girt about with truth. And he goes on and he starts describing the Christian soldier's armor. Okay? Now, look at verse 7. Let's just read the rest of it. Uh, having your loins girded about with truth, verse 14, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you may be able to stand, or sorry, you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God. And then what's that right after the word of God, before the verse ends, what's that? That's a colon, right? Verse 18, what's the next word? Praying. Always, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Now, we're going to come back to verse 19 in just a moment. I looked at the whole armor of God in a different way than I've ever looked at it before. He tells us in verse 11 to put on the whole armor of God. Verse 13, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. The attack, the times that I find 
that I feel like I'm being attacked the most by the devil is in those times when I'm trying to get alone with God and pray. Okay? And he says here that we're to put on this armor of God and then in verse 18 he starts talking about praying. I've never made this connection before. But I believe that the, the reason most Christians can't pray and don't pray is because they're not putting on the armor of God. It's not so that you can go into battle. The armor of God is so that you can go to that solitary place and you can pray. That armor of God is not for you to go to the fair and pass out tracts. You're not going to face the wiles of the devil passing out tracts as thousands of people walk by and take a piece of literature like you will when you go to that solitary place and get on your face and try to pray to the God of heaven and make uh, supplication for all saints. You're not going to uh, fight the, the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, standing on a street corner with a scripture sign that says Jesus saves and, and quoting scripture as cars come by. No. Where you're going to fight the battle is when you're on your knees. It don't take much armor when you're passing out tracks. It doesn't take much armor when you're on the street corner. Don't let, don't, don't let, just stay with me. It doesn't take much armor for that. Let's be honest about it. You can do that in the arm of the flesh. You can do that without the blessings of God, but you cannot pray in the flesh. When you pray, you're praying in the Spirit. You're praying with the Spirit. And it's you and the Spirit of God and the Son. And and the Spirit of God and the Son of God is making intercession for you in prayer according to Romans chapter 8. Because there's sometimes you go to pray, you don't even know what to pray. And it's, that's when the Spirit starts praying for us in Romans chapter 8. And so this armor of God becomes necessary for you to be able to labor fervently in prayer for the saints of God. Because that's when the attack is going to come from the devil. The whole time that we were in Africa, I didn't feel like I was being attacked by the devil when I was doing public ministry. I felt like I was attacked the most when I was trying to pray before I went out there. But he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And then verse 19 he says, And for me. So what are you to pray for? When you enter into this solitary place of prayer and you're going to get alone with God, you've put on the armor of God, which we, should, we could preach about the armor of God, but it, that's not the subject matter for tonight. But you've put on this armor of God. You're in that solitary place. And Paul says in verse 19, he's going to start telling you some of the things that you can labor fervently in prayer about concerning another brother in Christ. What's he say? And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. 
What did we talk about last Sunday? We talked about the method of missions. That's a rise and go. There has to be somebody that can go. Epaphras was somebody that might not have always been able to go. But God says, Epaphras, you might not be able to go, but you can stay and you can labor fervently in prayer. You can put on the whole armor of God and you can pray for somebody like Paul that when they get out there that they might be able to open their mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel because you're an Epaphras. And you're laboring fervently in prayers for somebody else. And Paul says here, and for me, he's talking about himself. He said, look, when you're praying, this is what I want you to pray because you're the one that's fighting the, you're the one that's fighting the, uh, uh, that you're the one that's having to stand against the, the spiritual wickedness in high places and, and wrestling against principalities and powers because you're praying for me while I'm out there speaking. And while I'm out there speaking, I need somebody that's going to labor fervently on my behalf so that I may open my mouth with boldness and know what I ought to speak when it comes time to speak. Laboring fervently. Laboring fervently. I believe prayer might be the most important labor in the work of God. And it's also the most neglected. I remember reading about uh, Robert Sheffy. Robert Sheffy. He was a circuit riding preacher, an old Methodist circuit riding preacher in the area where I grew up in, uh, in Virginia. And uh, matter of fact, she- uh, Brother Sheffy gave his horse to a man one time and uh, come off of Walker's Mountain into the county where I was, where I was raised at. And... Uh, one of my distant family members, A.T. Newberry, was, had, had a horse sale, and that's where Robert Sheffy bought a horse. He replaced his horse at that horse sale. He had given to somebody else. But Robert Sheffy used to preach up and down through there. Uh, he was, like I said, he was a circuit riding preacher. But uh, Robert Sheffy was, uh, he didn't do very much preaching. Robert Sheffy was known for taking a piece of sheepskin and going somewhere on top of a hill somewhere and praying. And that's when God would start moving in those revival meetings and those meetings and uh, revivals that they were having. And, and, and people gave Robert Sheffy a lot of the credit. But he, a lot of times, what, yeah, he preached some, but most of the time there was somebody else standing in the pulpit. And Robert Sheffy was on a hillside somewhere laboring fervently that that man might be able to open his mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel. Listen, there's some of you next week. You're not going to be, it's not going to be, it wouldn't even be wise for you to try to go to Sparta every night and pass out tracks. But I'll tell you what, God says right here, you can find that solitary place and you can put on that whole armor of God and you can labor fervently for those that are going, that when they engage in conversation with somebody, they might be able to open their mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Laboring fervently. I believe there's more to say about this. Come to Romans 15. I'll show you a few verses. I'm really not going to preach that long to you tonight or teach or however you want to label what I'm doing up here. Um... But Paul gave some specifics about prayer, especially concerning 
missions, okay? And we'll look at a couple of those here, and then we'll go home. Romans chapter 15, verse number 30. The Bible says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. All right? So Paul is saying, he's beseeching that they will continue, uh, sorry, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Paul's the one that's going out, right? Paul's the one that's going on the missionary journey, right? There's going to be some people here with Brother Jimmy next week. They're going to take a missionary journey to Sparta, to the White County Fair, okay? And Paul says... I want you to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Okay, what, what do you want us to pray, Paul? In verse 31, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. Now, I know the context is not exactly the same, but you know what you could pray for Brother Jimmy as he goes to Sparta and, and tries to make known the mystery of the gospel to the people of White County? You can be praying that when he gets there, he would be delivered from them that do not believe in White County. As the lost people come walking by and they start making a mockery of what he's doing, you can start praying that what he's doing, number one, he would be able to make known the mystery of the gospel, but number two, that he would be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea. It would ju- there would just be some ease that comes uh, with trying to get the gospel out. Secondly, he says, uh, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. There is no doubt in my mind that when Brother Jimmy gets to White County next week, he's going to engage some saints. And a lot of times when you're out trying to do public ministry like that, when you meet someone that's saved and they see you doing what they know they ought to be doing, sometimes that's the most uh, kickback that you'll get for what you're doing. So you could pray that as Brother Jimmy, in his uh, evangelistic efforts around those of you that can't go and those of you that would like to go but you can't go, you can labor fervently in prayer and you could pray that Brother Jimmy's service would be accepted of the saints that he encounters. That when he encounters those saints, maybe they would have a word of encouragement for him, maybe. Maybe they would have something nice to say and, and, and that it would be, what he's doing would be accepted to those people. And then in verse 32, he says that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may, may with you be refreshed. You could be praying that when Brother Jimmy returns back, he comes back with joy. You could pray that when he gets back, he has some joy. His trip has been prosperous. His trip has been fruitful. And, and he can return back. This is something that he says you need to pray for. It's not always easy to go out and try to do something like that and come back and be happy about it. It really is not. Sometimes you won't, you won't return back with joy. But Paul says here, he's beseeching these saints, these Christians in Rome. He says, can you just pray that I'd come back with joy? That's something that everybody in here can do. We're not going to turn there, but in Colossians chapter 4, verse number 3, the Bible says, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door 
of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. So you could be praying. How's a way that you can labor fervently in prayers? Well, you can pray that you'd be delivered from them that do not believe, that the ministry would be accepted of the saints, that there would be some joy, that you would have the boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. And you could also just be praying that God would open up more doors for those that are able to go through them. All the while you're in that solitary place with your armor on and you're laboring fervently. Really, you're the ones that's on the front line of the battle. Because that's where Satan's at. Because when you're, when you're trying to... When, that, that's where the attack comes, I believe. I, I, believe I've, I've, I, I believe that is so. That's where you'll find the attack the greatest is when you're trying to pray because that, that prayer is your communication between you and God. And the devil would love to stop Christians from communicating with God because if you're not communicating with God and if we really believe that prayer gets the job done and you're not praying, Brother Jimmy doesn't have joy. Brother Jimmy doesn't have encouragement. He's not able to open his mouth with boldness. So on and so forth. So there's some fervent labor that can be done and anybody can do it. Go to 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. When we think missions, we don't think prayer. Most people don't think prayer when they think missions. Most people think money, going. I don't believe in browbeating people into service and I don't believe in begging people to go and do anything. It's, uh, you know, people, people go into the, you know, people say, well, uh, talking about money, for example. People say, I don't want people to think we ask for money, but they don't care to preach a 45-minute sermon about getting off the pew and going out there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Let's be balanced about it. If, you know what? You understand what I'm saying. Let's just have a little bit of balance. You might as well ask somebody for $500 so you can buy gas to go as you would to beat them up over not going. I mean, I, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to be mean or, or unkind uh, about it, but uh, I'm just trying to just be realistic. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, <clears throat> he says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. So this sounds like the same thing that he said in the book of Romans when he says there that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. All men have not faith. Not everybody's saved. And we need people to be praying for us so that... The Word of God can have free course. The Word of God, according to Isaiah chapter 55, is what goes forth where God sends it, and it accomplishes what He sends it to do. But sometimes we need somebody that will labor fervently in prayer so that we can have the boldness that we need to speak so that when we speak, the Word of God can have free course and be glorified. Second... Corinthians chapter number 1, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, 
Look at verse uh, verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even life. They had a really hard time when they were down there in Asia. They had a, they had a tough time. I want you to watch what he says right here. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raised the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Now, now, so what's he saying? They were in Asia, they had all this trouble, and they trusted God that he would be able to deliver them from that trouble. They were trusting that their help, the help that they needed, would come from God, right? They were trusting God to get them out of this uh, trouble and the despair that they were in in Asia. And then he says this in verse 11, and I, I think this is a profound way of putting it. He says in verse 11, now, he just got through telling them that, that they were trusting God to do all this. But then he says this, verse 11, Ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. He said, yeah, we trust God. We were in trouble in Asia. But he said, you know what? Some of, He said, you know what? He said, you... Helped. And because of your help in prayer, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. He said, your prayers made a difference when we were in Asia. And there's a lot of people that can say, uh, th- there was a lo- th- you're laboring fervently in prayer for us. It helped us. You were helping together by prayer for us while we were in Asia. We hit a lot of trouble. God helped us. We were trusting God. But because of your prayer, there are now people there who can give thanks on our behalf because of what you did in that solitary place in prayer. I think that's pretty special. The credit was given by the Holy Spirit to the saints that were praying. That tells me there's something special. Any time that the Holy Spirit will give credit, that's a pretty important deal. And it's in the context of prayer. You say, I can't help. I can't help. There's nothing I can do. I just just can't help. It's, it's It's beyond my ability. No, no. Right here was a group of people that helped the Apostle Paul, and that group while they were in Asia. Right here's a group of people that helped. So when it comes to missions, there's a place for you to labor fervently so that the gospel can be made known in the regions beyond. Don't let the devil tell you that you can't go. Don't let the devil tell you you can't have a part in it. Don't let your flesh tell you that you can't have a part in it. There's a place in the work of God for everyone to labor fervently in the work of God for the furtherance of the gospel. And so uh, 
concerning prayer and missions. It's something that we need to be engaged in. And some of you can't go, but all of you can pray. Don't be discouraged because you can't go. Get encouraged because you can pray. Amen.